You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. This month, um, we have been going through the series called The Genius of Jesus, and this is based on a book by Erwin Raphael McMantis. And throughout the month of May, we've have covered the genius of power, the genius of empathy, the genius of the good, and the genius of grace. And all of these areas are ones where Jesus is shown to be a genius because of how he handled different difficult situations in completely extraordinary ways that went countercultural to his time, his culture. It just wasn't what was expected. So this morning, we're going to expand on this with the genius of the true. And you know, about a week and a half ago, our pastoral staff, we took a couple hours to learn a little bit more about ourselves and our personalities and what it looks like to work well as a team. And a lot of good things come out of taking the time to understand ourselves and understand others. And although there were a few surprises and some new understandings of how different personalities can interact with each other in healthy ways, uh, while valuing um, the perspective of others, some things just weren't surprises. One of the things that was not a surprise to me is I am an introvert, okay? It's not a surprise. I am an introverted introvert. So when we took the test, if the scale was from here to here, so extroverted here, introverted here, I am here, okay? Um, so if, I don't want to cause you to have too much attention on you, but can my introverts put your hand up real quick? You don't have to keep it up very long. Um, but, and if you're online, you can comment, say, hey, you, you understand this. But here's the thing. If I am here on the introverted scale, I think my husband has broken the scale. If you have not asked my husband a direct question, there's a good chance you've never heard him speak. So his scale may be like off the stage. So, but yes, I tested as quite the introverted person. Um, I'd be very curious to see where my husband falls on that scale. I'm pretty sure he'd break it. But for me, I didn't just test as an introvert. I tested as a contained introvert, which I didn't know what that meant before this. But what that means is that people have a hard time reading me unless I deliberately choose to seem more open. For those thinking, well, what does it really matter if someone is extroverted or introverted? Well, what that means for you here today is if, that you, want to get, if you want to get to know me, it's going to take time and conversations and more time. What it also means is that I value the truth of God's word, the truth of God's calling on my life, and the truth that God has in store for you today. That as an introvert, I am willing to stand here and speak today in a place that is not my personality's most comfortable place to be. Nowhere starting at the story of me crying in front of my third grade class, having to give an oral book report, is a person who grew up thinking that, yes, public speaking is totally my fit. <laughs> so if the truth of Jesus wasn't life-alteringly important, 
you wouldn't find me standing in this space speaking to you today. So as I was looking into everything for this morning, um, we're talking about the genius of the true, and I was trying to think about things in our world that are absolutely true, outside of what we're talking about this morning, these things that would be absolutely true, no exceptions, and my brain is just filled with all of the exceptions to the rules, exceptions to the truth. Um, I'm assuming that most everyone here listening today speaks English, or you wouldn't be really getting much from what I'm saying, but do you remember going through school, like early elementary, and you're learning to read, you're learning to write, you're learning to spell, and you'd learn a rule, and then the next day you'd have the lesson about all the exceptions to the rule. And this is why you can hear like kids learning how to add the ed to the past tense of verbs to show that they did something. And they do it great when it's they played, they hopped, they climbed, but not if they swimmed or runned or spinned. Right? Right? And it's really challenging to find something that is absolutely always true that you can't think of an exception if you're open-minded enough. And this can lead to uh, a bit of chaos going on in your mind if you're a person who likes concrete answers like me. And that, as human beings, it can feel like we're just like a step away from the true. We can feel like something is true or it's the truth at a certain time, and then later in life, you might look back and you'll be like, well, that might not have been as true as I once thought it was. And when you start looking at like history, if you study it, you sometimes have to figure out the lines between history and propaganda. Because sometimes history can be a retelling of a story with a certain intention in mind behind the information. So then you have to dissect that information away from that intention so that you have the data. Because um, when that intention and that data kind of get mixed, that you're not just talking about information anymore you're talking about an interpretation of that data. So as we talk about the genius of the true, I want you to know that there are so many layers within this. There are things that are true, things that we perceive to be true, and things that we experience to be true. And this, and all of those things, they're not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is trying to take us on a journey beyond what is true to who is true. This is a journey to the true, not just to the truth. And, you know, as we as humans, we have this interesting relationship with the truth. When you start thinking about the relationship of humans to God and the connection to truth, you open up so many different facets of this that we're not going to be able to get to every thought relating around truth this morning. So if you want to, you can dig deeper into the book, The Genius of Jesus, and study it more for yourself. But this morning, let's talk about two common quotes around the truth. The first is, you can't handle the truth. How many of you guys have heard that line, right? It's pretty popular. I'll be honest. There have been times in my life where I have been there. Have you ever had someone in your life who loved you, and they told you the truth. They spoke into your life, they confronted you with the choices that you were making, 
But instead of dealing with the intention behind that conversation where that person loved you, they cared for you, they were worried about you, they risked intervening in your life so that you didn't enter an even more self-destructive phase. But instead of embracing that truth, you attack the truth teller, right? Ever been there? I think I spent a good portion of my teenage years in that phase, completely. And then even as an adult, I think we can find sections in our life that we're just not willing to address. And it is easy to fall into a season where you can't handle the truth. You just want to live out your truth. And when your truth contradicts the truth, then you just don't want to know the truth. And I don't think we're just there as individuals. I think we're there as a society in this time of history. We have a hard time with the truth as we want to live out our truth. We actually have this higher value of living out our truth than the truth. So this has a really, really deep implication. So if we're living out our truth, then it makes us the source of what is true. If you're at least searching or struggling for the truth, then you're at least acknowledging that there is a source of truth outside of yourself, a source of truth that is more credible than yourself. So let's move on this morning. Let's move forward, assuming that we all are able to handle the truth, that we are willing to, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it hurts, even if it's irritating, we want to know the truth regardless of the consequences. Which brings us to another very common quote about the truth. The truth will set you free. And you maybe hear this quote in many different places and not realize that people are actually quoting Jesus. So in John 8:32, the full verse is, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, this is a lot easier said than done. And typically, we're really, really open to hearing the truth that agrees with us. But that real challenge is when there's friction. And this is a necessary friction that is needed to bring life change. You see, friction that brings life change is caused by a truth that upsets us. It might be a truth that makes us mad. It's a truth that confronts us but it's definitely a truth that feels like it's a violation to our truth. And then you have that decision of whether you're going to align your lives with the truth or you're gonna stay with your truth. And although the first quote we had of you can't handle the truth is probably the most well-known phrase regarding truth in our current day, it isn't the most well-known throughout history. Probably the most famous, or we could call it infamous, conversation around truth is the conversation that Jesus had with Pontius Pilate shortly before Jesus' death. So let's run through this whole conversation, and then we'll take time to break it down into pieces. In John 18, starting at verse 33, we read, So Pilate went back into the governor's residence, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or have others told you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own people and your chief priests handed you over to me. 
What have you done? Jesus replied, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my servants would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish authorities. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Then Pilate said, so you are a king. Jesus replied, you say that I am a king. For this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked, what is the truth? When he had said this, he went back outside to the Jewish leaders and announced, I find no basis for accusation against him. Wow. That last question of what is the truth, that's getting into the heart of what we're getting to today. But let's start at the beginning. The Jewish leaders had taken Jesus before Pilate to have him executed. <coughs> Sorry about that. I am allergic to the whole world right now with the pollen. So <clears throat> I will try not to cough on you guys too much or sneeze. Um, but yes, the Jewish leaders had taken Jesus before Pilate to have him executed. And you would think that this would be a time to use your words extremely carefully in order for the whole situation to end up with you not being executed, right? That would be the typical person's goal, not get executed. And Jesus, however, does use his words extremely carefully, but probably not in the way we'd think. So verse 33, so Pilate went back to the governor's residence and summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied, are you saying this on your own initiative or have others told you about me? And in my brain, I'm just like, Jesus, can't you just answer the question? Technically, the Jews no longer had a king in the sense that Pilate was talking or thinking about. And Jesus wasn't looking to overthrow the Roman government. So answering the question one way would avoid death, right? But if there's one thing I've learned from Jesus is often the best answer to a question was another question. And Jesus would consistently redirect conversations. And if you don't look closely, <coughs> sorry, if you don't look closely in these situations, you might think that Jesus is avoiding the subject, but it was always the opposite. He used questions as a way of cutting straight to the heart of the matter. Jesus always knew the question behind the question and had a, an ability to cut right to that center truth of the matter. And you know, a question can create the context for the next answer given. It can drastically shift the direction of the conversation and it can be either a catalyst for endless possibilities or it can drastically limit the scope of possible responses. All right. Thank you. I'll take the water. <laughs> so, have you ever been given an either or question? So, two responses. Choose this or choose this. And these are extremely limiting questions. And honestly, I really hate either or questions when it comes to broad, complex situations. They don't allow for nuanced conversations, and if you pick the opposite of what the asker is leading you to pick, then you might get painted in a light 
that isn't actually true of you. So let's get a little vulnerable for a moment. With this week, we watched that tragical, tra- terrible tragedy play out in, again in a school in Texas. And I've been watching all the reactions and sorting through my own feelings about the details as they've come out. And everyone has a wide range of solutions, ranging from change this law, to add these services, or they should have done this, or these people are to blame. And everyone is feeling the deep, deep, deep grief of the event. And they believe that their solution to preventing something like this, again, is the right thing, their truth. And if you disagree with their method, then you don't care about the safety and well-being of our children. And I'm not here to say what law or preventative measures or services or training or anything else is the right one, because none of those categories are my area of expertise. But I am here to say that blaming others for not caring about our kids because their method of caring in this situation doesn't match your method, your truth, is blinding to a point that together we're going to struggle to find a solution that actually prevents tragedies like these. And it is really amazing how many of us have developed extremely strong truths in certain categories that we're not very knowledgeable about, and it causes us to lose our ability to hear those around us going through that same tragedy. And maybe it's going to take truth causing friction against our society's truth to make a noticeable difference in this area. But I hope that we can learn to ask the right questions and learn to listen. So let's go back to Jesus' questions. Are you saying this on your own initiative, or have others told you about me? And, you know, that's not a direct answer to Pilate's, are you the king of the Jews? That would have been a simple, like, yes, no question. He could have just answered yes, no, but no. He asked the question. However, Pilate's question in response to his question is telling. So in verse 35, Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own people and your chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? His response of, I am not a Jew, am I? I read this and I'm just like, I read it as, well, if you're the king of the Jews, then you're not king over me as I'm not Jewish. I am Roman and I'm completely above all the Jewish people's petty disagreements. Right? That's kind of like, that's the sentiment I read into that. And you see, Pilate had complete freedom in his Roman position to judge this case as he wanted to. He's going through the proper procedure of inquiring into the charges. That's why he's asking, what have you done? It's asking that, it's asking the alleged lawbreaker to name his own crime, right? The charge in this case was being the king of the Jews. So the issue with this is that is a title that would constitute treason if it wasn't bestowed on Jesus by the Roman Empire, emperor, which of course it wasn't. And he also sees that like the Jewish leaders themselves had handed him over as one of their own in a manner that was outside the normal Jewish practice. Jesus, however, in response to what have you done, takes up the question without giving the response that Pilate was wanting in verse 36. Jesus replied, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my servants would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish authorities. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Then Pilate said, so you are a king. Okay, take a note here. This is Pilate's gotcha moment. 
Because if he says he has a kingdom, then Jesus is a king by default of semantics, right? Jesus replied, you say that I am a king for this reason I was born and for this reason I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Jesus redirects the conversation to the real issue that the reason he came into the world was to testify to the truth. That everyone on the side of truth listens to him. And the meaning that Jesus is trying to convey to Pilate is much deeper than Pilate's questions about him being a king. Jesus' point was that he didn't simply come to earth to tell us the truth or to point us in the right direction to the truth, but that Jesus was the truth. But you see, Pilate, he wasn't open to hearing the truth. In verse 38, we see Pilate asked, what is the truth? When he had said this, he went back outside. The Jewish leaders announced, I find no basis for an accusation against him. What is the truth? What is the truth? That question from Pontius Pilate has echoed throughout history. You see, there's this weird divide of Pilate seeming to search for the truth, and Jesus was standing fully in front of him, personifying the truth. And this is such ironic imagery. You have someone asking, what is the truth? And the truth literally standing directly in front of you, and you miss it, right? Jesus could have, like, simply answered, you're looking at him, right? Right? That's a, that's a valid answer. But he doesn't. So Pilate's question has this, like, unspoken follow-up from Jesus of, would you recognize the truth if it were standing right in front of you today? Would we hear? Would we recognize the truth if it were standing right in front of us today? What is the truth? Jesus is the truth. And what does this ultimately mean for us? Why should this matter? Let's dissect this a little bit more. So we all have moments where we're absolutely certain that we are right, only to discover later that we were completely wrong. And I'm not talking about the moments that we're outright lying, okay? These are the moments where we were mistaken. More information came out later, and we realized, hey, we were wrong, okay? This, this moment, I was so confident that I knew my way home from college, and I decided to do it without a GPS. I got on the turnpike, as always, and started driving. Now, this will tell you a little bit about my personality. I do a little bit of quick math while I drive, most of the time on the turnpike. Those little tiny uh, signs with the mile markers along the road. Yeah, those signs, and I know what number I'm supposed to get off and I do some quick math and figure out how many miles I have left to go. So it is once, all good. Do it a little bit later, do a second time, and the number is higher. <laughs> higher than the first number. Yeah, you can see where this is going, right? So I quickly do it a third time, and it's higher still. Yeah, I totally got on the turnpike, going the opposite direction, um, opposite way that I was supposed to go. Um, this was a time-wasting mistake, but I did it pretty confidently as if it was true when I entered that turnpike. And our concept of 
Personal truth can be a little bit like that. It sounds right when I speak my truth, but that doesn't mean my truth is an expression of what is actually true. I'm not the source of truth, even when it feels absolutely true. And sometimes our truth doesn't lead us where we hope to go. For example, I went right into the city of Philly instead of home. Yeah, yeah, because my college was not that far outside of Philly, so wrong direction. Sends you right into Philly, so it's great. Um, but for truth to exist, there has to be a source that is trustworthy. And often we lack that source of truth. Okay, let's tell you something else about myself. I like science. I really do. I find it fascinating. However, at one point in history, science, scientists interpreted the scientific data and came to the conclusion that the sun revolved around the earth. Okay? I'm not saying science is ever wrong by any means, but I am saying that scientists can be wrong as they're human, okay? And scientists, aren't, aren't, they're not out to deceive us, but occasionally they are mistaken. As more information later sometimes comes out, that changes the conclusions that they make. So there is this gap between the source and the voice here that causes mistakes. And mistakes are human. As humans, we perceive the truth and we try to understand it and embrace it, but we are not the truth itself. And the reality is throughout your life, you are going to get facts, you're going to get data, and you're gonna get information wrong. That's a given. You're going to misremember things, you're going to misjudge people, and you're simply going to be wrong sometimes. You're going to find yourself rethinking strongly held beliefs and convictions at some point, and that is okay. The genius of Jesus is that he meets us on our search for truth. When Jesus says that he is the truth, there is no gap between the source and the voice. He is both. He can be trusted completely because of this. He isn't perceiving the truth or learning the truth as we are. He is a single source of all that is true. In our example, he would be the science and the scientist. He can be trusted. He isn't going to get you on the road going the complete opposite direction of where you're supposed to go. All right? Truth exists because our God can be trusted. So what is the truth? Jesus stands in front of us as the truth. We can ask ourselves, does it really matter what is true as long as it's true to me? Or the question, aren't all religions the same? And if you think about it long enough, you could reword this as, don't all lies lead to the truth? Does it matter if there is a truth? Don't they end up all in the same place? And I think that's a very hopeful sentiment that maybe we really do want the best outcome for everyone. However, you can figure out um, pretty easily through your life that lies don't take you where the truth does. That eastbound ramp did not take me home to the west. What is false doesn't take you to the truth. So let's look at this in a small, like, packageable example in our personal lives that we experience around truth. I'd say, sitting here today, that the people closest to you in your life are probably the ones that can freely speak into your life with the truth. 
right? If you've had people in your life that have repeatedly lied to you and broken down that trust over and over again, that relationship probably moved into either a dysfunctional relationship or uh, maybe you chose not to maintain that relationship with them any longer. A healthy relationship can't exist without truth. Without truth, there's no trust. Without trust, there's no intimacy. As humans, we seem to be designed to function with truth. We seem to need truth to be healthy as humans. And this is like, we can't have too much truth. There's no good lie. There's no lie that makes us better. But truth exists because God can be trusted. The power of truth is that there's always a source that is true. And that true source is always good in his intention because God always intends the good. God always speaks the truth. And our souls seem somehow to know that we're designed for this truth. When we begin to live a lie, whether whatever type of lie it is, our soul gets sick. We don't get better if we're living out a lie that, you know, a lie that we made ourselves or maybe a lie that came from someone else that you accepted. Like, have you noticed the health of your life improves when you move towards truth? If you take that relationship example, like when people are truthful with one another, their relationships are healthier. When people lie in relationships, they move to dysfunctional or even straight up destructive. So as humans, we're designed for that truth and health comes out of accepting the true. So let's go back to Pilate's question. What is the truth? The truth was standing right in front of him, but Pilate does the easy thing and acts as if the truth was not accessible to him or knowable to him. The truth was standing right in front of him though. What a remarkable moment to miss. You know, it's easy for us to accept truths that you know, the ones that don't have much effect on us because they don't lead to that friction um, that causes life change. Like, whatever sound a black hole makes doesn't really affect my life that much. It's easy to say, oh, sure, that's, that can be true. And it's easy to chase after truths that you have no control over. Again, I have no control over what sound a black hole makes. Sure, I can accept it, just move on. And But it is difficult to ask the question, where are you running from truth? The truth that God has called you to live out right now. And I believe that Jesus is standing in front of us each right now as the personification of truth. He is he's calling us to follow him as he lives out the truth. And you know, this is difficult for even those of us who are believers of Jesus already. For us to follow Jesus as truth we seem to have this habit of trying to have Jesus tag along with us while we live out our truth instead of adhering to the truth of Jesus. So this morning I have some questions for you. What is it that God has been speaking into your life that you've been ignoring? What is the truth that God is speaking to you about the person you are and the changes that he wants to make in your life? Who is the person that he wants you to become? And if you're new to getting to know Jesus, it might feel like there are so many things that God is speaking to you and it's that great feeling of hearing the voice of God for the first time in your life and 
It's overwhelming and fantastic. And maybe you've been here such a long time that maybe this question is catching you off guard because you haven't really thought about uh, what truth you've been ignoring. Maybe you have been so clinging tightly to your truths that you just haven't been thinking that, oh, well, maybe my truth contradicts with the truth that Jesus wants to have in my life instead. And it's really easy to get there where you think, I know everything and I'm right. But maybe God is challenging a deeply held belief, something you're holding on to, and he wants to make that change in your life. And I know these aren't easy questions and maybe at this very moment, it's gonna take some time for you to process and think about what God is actually speaking to you that you've been ignoring. That might be a deep conversation you need to have with God. But if nothing else is true, in relationships with Jesus, it's this. When you trust your life with Jesus, you acknowledge not just that Jesus knows the truth and speaks the truth, but that he is the truth. And Jesus makes the truth personal. And he wants to make it personal in your life and in mine. Let's pray as we end out today. God, I just thank you for the ability to gather this morning, to hear your word, to hear your truth. Lord, I just ask that you open up our hearts to hear what you would be speaking to us today, to hear where maybe I have to let go of this truth of mine that I'm holding so tightly to because you want to work on this area of my life and it is not aligning with the actual truth. Lord, I ask that you soften our hearts and that you would give us the ability to mold to the truth, that we would be willing to lay down our pride and lay down our truth for the truth. God, I just ask as we leave here today that you would continue speaking to us, continue molding us, continue loving us into the people that you have us to be. In your name I pray. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.